So, nice to be with you all again this evening. We're in the middle of our festival. It officially began on Thursday night, which was actually the Gopurnim. We talked a little bit about the uh, historical, uh, if you will, appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the world. Um, the date, the astrological uh, setting of the time, and and so forth, and um, the uh, very poetic way in which it's uh, described, and the philosophical implications of that poetic description of the full moon and the eclipse and and so on and so forth. Uh, just to briefly review that for a moment, the, the eclipse at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, eclipses are thought to be inauspicious in uh, ancient Hindu uh, culture. and uh, But this eclipse was thought to be auspicious, and it was thought that the golden moon of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is spotless, was... Uh, uh, on the mind of Rahu, who is the shadow of the earth that, that uh, influences the, or causes the eclipse. And so his enemy, as it's thought, the moon, Chandra, he said, huh? you're defeated hmm? with the rising of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the world. And he covered the, covered the moon and everybody was in the Ganges chanting and so forth to, to counteract the inauspicious effects of the time, which in fact, were very auspicious. This is an inauspicious time in uh, the Hindu uh, worldview of time cycles. You know, the Hindu uh, conception of time is cyclical rather than linear. And there are very vast, uh, very considerable implications uh, to that um, in terms of how we, if we were to really enter into a cyclic view of time, our whole perception of the nature of matter and so forth, as we know it today, would come into question. And it's very interesting. It's a detailed uh, subject. And interesting, of course, uh, interestingly enough, of course, there is some some movement in that direction uh, in modern science, which has been linear, which is a Christian idea from first centuries now. Uh, again, moving in somewhat of a to a cyclical view of, of time has some scope. So. At any rate, the implication there was that that the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and what he teaches has the, the capacity to turn malefic influences into auspicious influences. His teaching, to put it another way, as I've said before, was not to get out of the storm, but to dance in the rain, something like that. So I use that to differentiate between a doctrine of knowledge and one of love. Hmm? Love has the power to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? So, from there we move to, well, today is is the the Vyasa Puja. So we talked a little bit about that this morning. We talked about uh, the, the concept of paricharja seva, or personal service to the guru, and we give some examples of in, in, in Chaitanya's Leela of that. Interesting points were drawn from that for those of you who weren't here. A bit of a uh, 
summary, uh, quite a brief one. At any rate, um, this being the, the, the day in which uh, the, uh, the, the principle of the guru is, 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 is honored in terms of a microscopic manifestation, we have uh, the, the macrocosmic or the samasti guru. Samasti guru means the composite, if you will, of, of guru. Hmm? And then you have the vyasti which means the local uh, manifestation of that in our lives. Hmm? So, for example, in, the, in our particular lineage, then, Chaitanya and Nityananda, they are the, the Vyasti, the Samastiks, <coughs> Guru, the principle of, of Guru, and then the lineages that, that derive from them, hmm? a number of them that make up the whole of our uh, particular spiritual communities composed of different lineages. Therefore, it said Chaitanya was the founder of his own sampradayas or own communities, many lineages, with some beautiful differences, hmm? beautiful in the way that, in the sense that they don't get in the way of the unity, the unified philosophy, the philosophical ground or canvas on which the art, if you will, of their spiritual expression is, uh, is is drawn, hmm? which which uh, expresses itself in ultimately in different uh, flavors of, of bhakti, sakya bhakti, friendship, love and friendship with Krishna, madhurya, love in, in, in romantic love, vatsalya, hmm? parental type of well wishing love. These are actually the forces of the world that are most significant in our lives we're exposed to gravity and electromagnetic energy and so forth as I've said before these are the real forces that drive us we, but we don't understand them or we don't play them out to their perfection which requires finding the perfect object of love to repose these types of loving sentiments in hmm? And often it's thought, of course, that love of God is different than love of any other kind of love. And it's kind of like, well, either reverential or it's, it's a silent kind of love. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Peace, <coughs> peace and love. We need both. So, uh, so in Chaitanya Vaishnavism we have this idea of that the Atma, the Atma, the Self... Hmm. while at present tossing and turning on an ocean of, of material emotions, hmm. the emotive experience of the mind, tossing and turning on that, the high tide and low tide, and as high as it gets is as low as it gets. Hmm. We acquire something and we're very much uh, uplifted by that, and the very same thing may turn to to bring us to the depths of disappointment. Hmm. We find the knight in shining, shining armor and then something something changes. He changes, we change, I change she changes, and, and uh, the, the, one finds oneself hoping we could, we could, we could uh, ride away into the night 
by ourselves and get away from him. Uh, so <laughs> it happens. So this is the tossing and turning, if you will, on the ocean of material emotions that that we we in which we really seek some balance and some stability and uh, some the, the stomach could be peaceful instead of becoming upset with the tossing and turning. So basic spiritual idea, yoga idea, is to come to this kind of chitta vritti niroda to clear the consciousness and be peaceful and so on make the ocean flat, if you will, which sounds good when you're on a tidal wave and it's uh, scary and so forth, but after a while, I'm just sitting on the ocean here, you know, and you think, maybe I could use a wave, you know, so, so, <laughs> so, well, we don't want those material waves, so the point is that there are waves of bhakti, hmm? we talked about it this morning a little bit, like there, there's a bias or a prejudice within bhakti, hmm? But it's of a different nature than the material bias that spiritual life is thought to transcend. Spiritual life is is all about the subjective world, hmm? the subjective inner world of our own consciousness. But to arrive there, to to um, to traverse and explore that inner subjective landscape, a considerable amount of objectivity has to be um, marshaled and uh, uh, brought to the fore. In other words, detachment. This is, this is uh, what I mean by objectivity. If you are detached from a thing, you can think objectively about it. If you're too close to it, biased to it, then you can't. You can't think objectively. There's a famous saying, mother named her blind son Padmalochan. Padmalochan means lotus eyes. So a child who's blind, their eyes are not beautiful, but the mother, for her, he had lotus eyes. Only she could see it. Again, as I said earlier, love has the power to turn faults into ornaments. So that's the subjectivity, the attachment. So we can't see it for what it is. Or maybe we can. That's another way of thinking. But at any rate, the spiritual life is meant to, to bring us above these biases. It, it, it requires that we become very objective. We kind of have to look and deconstruct the world of appearances to get to the bottom of what it's really all about. Hmm? kind of like scientific, if you will. Hmm? My Guru Maharaj sometimes used to talk about bhakti as being a science. Because in science, we kind of, well, in modern sense, they try to look at the smallest particle. What's the world really made out of here? It's really, the apples aren't really red. There's really no such thing as red. Hmm? There's no real thing as red. Red is a subjective, qualitative experience. And really things are just quantitative, they have weight, they have mass, they have length, they have depth, uh, and so on and so forth. So in the so-called real world today, um, uh, the, the, there are no colors, there are no feelings, those aren't real. When you speak of God, red isn't real. Hmm? Red doesn't exist. Blue doesn't exist. Hmm? Um, 
and any other subjective uh, perception is just something that we foster onto the reality, hmm, the things, the basis, basic stuff of matter, which is turning out to be, well, not so hard and uh, not so uh, structured, I should say. My, matter is turning out to be more like a mind than uh, than something concrete. And so, anyway, that's the problem in modern science. But, uh, <coughs> but like a scientist, the point is, the yogin, the bhakti yogin, and any yogin, really, in any discipline, is looking beneath the surface of appearances, the coming and going of appearances, and not being attached to to them, and, and and going to the underlying ground, as it sometimes spoke of, I think. Who is it that said that? The ground of being. Tillich. Tillich, theologian. Uh, it was a good phrase. So it's it's very which works with the Hindu idea of Brahman, the underlying consciousness out of which, the sea of which appearances come and go, come and go. So, again, so we to, to be very objective, to be detached, hmm, is required to enter into the subjective world, super-subjective world of consciousness and explore the landscape there, where, in terms of bhakti, there are all types of spiritual emotions that arise not out of the material mind, the psychic dimension of our material reality, but out of out of the, the soul's uh, union with the Godhead through bhakti. Bhakti itself is a, is a is a shakti, is a power, if you will, of Krishna, just like Maya is a shakti, the shakti of illusion. We are a shakti. And we can go from one side to the other, the material side or the bhakti side. Hmm? And we can develop a personality based on the environment that we're in. Now, if we identify with the material environment, we get a material personality. It doesn't work too well because we're spiritual in nature. If we go the other side and the influence of bhakti, we get a spiritual personality. And then we have the possibility of participating in the world of lila and the world of spiritual emotion. Hmm? Very interesting um, uh, concept. Hmm? So we are teaching about these kinds of things. We've been talking about these kinds of things. Um, and Gaur and Nityananda Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, whose appearance were celebrated in a, in a very big way, uh, was is kind of like a fountainhead of this distribution of this type of idea. So he's the Samasti guru, and then we have lineages, many of them, coming from them like rivers flowing from the fountain of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And they're distributing this teaching, the basic ground philosophical teaching. And then they're experiencing it in slightly different flavors of spiritual emotion for Krishna. Loving Krishna as a friend, loving Krishna as a... As, as a lover, for example, as a, as a servant and so forth. Very interesting um, concept of love of God. It takes the whole range of love and emotional experience that, that our human life consists of and keeps it in place, but refocuses it 
focuses it on the object that is enduring and has the capacity to reciprocate in love hmm? that no other object does, that object meaning Krishna, the Godhead himself. Just like I've given an example many times, the stomach is that center, that place in the body, that all the parts of the body can serve and thereby be nourished, hmm? which if they don't serve, hmm, but keep, for example, the food to themselves, the hand or the tongue, without swallowing, well, that's not in their interest. The stomach has the power to take all the food and mystically, if you will, transform it in such a way that all the parts of the body that work for the stomach, as it would be, are energized in a way that no other part of the body can do. This is the idea of finding the perfect object of love, that we may repose our loving propensities, which is what our human life is about, hmm? in a place whereby the full expression of those loving propensities can be realized, love in eternity, and in, and in different sentiments. So there are these many rivers of lineages, if you will, coming from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and guru and disciple and guru and disciple going up over centuries and so on and so forth. This is called the paramparat, means one after another, literally. So the one guru leaves a successor and and so on and so forth. It goes down for centuries. And these different lineages, same philosophy, but some nuanced expressions of the philosophy, some diversity of experience, religious, spiritual experience, grounded in that same philosophy. The canvas is one, but the art is uh, draws a variegated picture, if you will. Hmm. So, on a day called Vyasa Puja, then, we celebrate the, the macrocosmic conception of the Guru as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, or even in a broader sense, the Vyasa, as I was speaking of, the legendary compiler of the of the Gita, the Bhagavad, and all the Upanishads, and so forth, who gave the scriptural map to us that the guru is 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 the is the is the um the tour guide on hmm? not a very well paid fellow but uh <laughs> just a tour guide yeah. um uh humble service uh, so uh uh then that but he's a specific person in our lives and may think of himself as very small but we may think Oh, he's very big. Uh, I remember when we purchased Madhavan in Costa Rica, our ashram there, and Donnie Mel, the owner, um, he was in a in a difficult situation because his son Juan had sold some cows three times, and the third time the man who previously bought and paid cheated him, and and he didn't pay, and so he had negotiated some cow deal, and and his farm was in trouble. And so the friendly um, Cattlemen's Association, made up of lawyers, they agreed to loan Donnie Mel money to pay the man with a lien on his property at 30%. And, and Donnie Mel, you know, interest. Donnie Mel is just, oh, the, these Cattlemen's lawyers, they're just so nice. But then it turned out it wasn't working out to pay 30% interest. Uh, and so he was losing his property when we met him. Hmm? And I said, I'd like to buy your property. He said, well, we should meet. So we met in the morning. I said, Donnie Mel, you went to bed last night praying to God that you'd get a good price from your property, didn't you? He said, yes. 
I said, you know what? So did I. <laughs> I prayed I'd get a good price. <laughs> Problem. <laughs> so I told him, actually, I don't have any money, but I could probably... <laughs> but, but I have a proposal, I said. I said, I can go to America and try to raise the money to pay off the lawyers. Hmm? So the property's free and clear. And then you could take a portion of it, and I'll take a portion of it. <coughs> so he was very happy with that idea. So then we walked all over the land. I mean, he's like, he must be like 80 years old now or something like that, you know. And he's like, Costa Rica is not flat. <laughs> it's, it's, if you think this is steep, well, you should go to, you know, Costa Rica's got some real steep terrain. So Malavan is on a, on a mountain that goes about, 2,500 feet up, and we're at about 1,000, 1,300 feet spread across the side of this beautiful mountain. We put roads in and so forth. Wherever there's some flat spot, we, we said, Don Emil, is it flat in there? I mean, this is a jungle. He says, it's flat over there. About You don't go this far. And we didn't go through there. and then we, It looks a little flat. you know. So we, we'll clear this spot. Like this how we gradually you know, found all the spots that we, we have now. It's all just a wild jungle. So anyway, he was he was the guru. I mean, he was showing us everything, and he knew every flower, every tree, every animal, every insect, every place there was water. And I was just amazed by his his acquaintance with and love for the land. And I remember we were sitting up at what's now the Sachinichi Field, which was just like a plateau with a beautiful view at a, at, a, at a higher elevation than most of our sites, but a beautiful sight and. I looked at the beautiful sight of Don Emil's eyes in which I felt his heart's love for the property. And I said, we had already negotiated a deal, and he was showing us around, and we were trying to ratify it. And I said, you know, Don Emil, I really don't want to buy your land. He said, really? You don't? I said, no. I said, well, I want to buy the feeling that you have in your heart that I can see in your eyes for the land, but that's, there's no price for that. That can't be bought. Hmm? You've acquired that hmm? for living here and serving the land and so forth and so. So he was. I, I compare him to the guru idea. You can't buy what the guru has. Hmm? Hmm. So you, have, you, you, you can. It's something you can. It's a grace you can get it. Hmm? it Take some time. So I'm living at Madhavan, trying to get that from Don Emil, learning about the things, loving the place, and so on and so forth. Hmm. But he was just like kind of very, you know, diminutive and, uh, you know, uh, just the guide, the tour guide in, in his own mind. But in my mind, of course, he loomed very large. Hmm. And so it is with the principle of guru, that this, the Vyasti guru, the, the microcosmic guru who comes from the source in the, in the line, in the succession, and is present personally in our lives, considers himself or herself to be a small person doing some representational type of service, representing the Godhead, giving the teachings faithfully in an unbiased way, equally to everyone, and so forth, and so on. But to us, he or she means a lot. So this is the day that that we get to celebrate that local and the larger, the Samasti and the Vyasti conception of the Guru. So we talked a bit about the Vyasti conception. And also I gave a nice example 
in our discussion of 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 the person Gobinda and Chaitanya Lila who personally served Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a menial servant. So that's where we're at in our discussions. And tonight, um, typically I would ask for any questions. We can we can do that as well. But I wanted to read a couple of the many of you have written some eulogy and so forth to try to express your feelings for what it has meant to you and what it means to you in an ongoing way to be uh, in touch with with you. I'll have to write, you know, a lot of eulogies to express what it means to, for me to be in touch with all of you. That would keep me pretty busy. I'll just say that I love you all. <laughs> i leave it at that. But um, I was trying to read through these, and it just was not possible for me to get through them all. I got in, they're in alphabetical order, and there's a website for them. And this website contains eulogies from years now of these types of events. And um, I got uh, somewhere into the into the into the G's <laughs> alphabetically. So, I, I, and they're all quite uh, quite touching. And, and of course, I know the persons and, and and so forth behind them. And so, a couple of them struck me not because they were the best offerings, but they struck me in particular ways. Um, some of them I thought captured something about me parts of their offerings, and um, some of them were, were noteworthy in, in my consideration, considering who they were and their, the time they've been involved and so on and so forth. And So, again, um, I couldn't read them all, and I, I, this, this is not a competition here uh, at all, but uh, some, 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 some things from what I did read through stuck out. I got... Um, didn't get through the G's. I got, I think, to Gauravani. He's not here. Um, so, in the A's, one that stuck out to me was written by Aradhana Dasi, which many of you probably don't know, but uh, she's a young girl, maybe 17, something like that, who uh, took Harinam initiation um, maybe a year ago, something like that. And um, for a person of her age and time to be involved, I was impressed with what she wrote. Um, uh, she wrote it in a poetic way, which the composition, which could be um, critiqued, but uh, not bad. Um, uh, but the, uh, <laughs> the spirit of it, I... I I appreciate it because, well, I'll read a little bit. She says, Gurudev, she begins, Oma Gyanati Mirandasya, this famous verse. And she says, Gurudev, your guidance is a gift that I am growing more gratitude for every day. You are the embodiment of my faith by grace. In the unsteadiness, I always know that you are there. I'm able to look up from my low position and see your hand reaching out. An appearance side by side with Gore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, not looking at my past, but looking at what you both see as hope to receive the nourishment, to hold on by drinking from the lake of the Goswamis, faithfully following your guidance, this paribar of Bhaktivinoda, a path that echoes with the roars, smelling of the petal, remnants painted 
with affection to garland the world in you, I see the heavy conviction of Bhakti Vinod. That's pretty good. <laughs> she's got something, she's figured something out there. I see the love that urged Bhakti Siddhanta to pull the mosquito nets over his disciples when they were sleeping. Hmm. That's beautiful too. Bhakti Siddhanta, you don't know this, that, that she would think of this and this would stand out there. How he was, he's thought of as the great, powerful and very stern kind of guru. They call him the Singha Guru, the Lion Guru. This is the, the guru of my guru. Hmm. We had that side. But... Um, that there's a, a that's the the general picture of him, but there's another more intimate picture, and she cited a beautiful example that he would pull the mosquito nets over his disciples at night to make while they were sleeping to make sure that they they didn't get bitten and they had a good night's sleep. How he cared personally, love for his for his students, it's very very beautiful. So anyway, she says she sees some of that. In me, and that's very nice. In you, I see the humble confidence that held the spine of Bhaktivedanta. In you, I see the external simplicity, the eternal heart woven in between the lines of the Bhagavatam and between the fingers of Nityananda Prabhu, of Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Maharaj. In you, I see my only hope, a hope that I am building gratitude for every day. Hmm. So I like this, of course, because her appreciation of her guru hmm, exhibits an understanding of the principle of guru who is connected with the lineage and, uh, and that by connection with the guru, she feels she's being connected with the lineage, with all these personalities whom she mentions and so forth. Um, uh, it's kind of like the guru's not a personality cult, but he's bringing us into into a world of spiritual uh, luminaries uh, and and so forth. So the idea, as I said before, having one guru really is understood as it's understood in our tradition means having many gurus, having acquaintance with, affection for, attachment to um, these. So that the, the other um, members of the of the lineage and so forth, the predecessors. So her seeing that this was very, uh, I thought it was a, a, an indication of her kind of some penetrating insight for a young, young, young high school girl. Hmm. So Aradhana Dasi, Vijay. So that's one. Very, very nice. Then I. S- have something here from oh no internet oh here maybe get it here have to join the internet here okay that should work this is then um I'm going to read a paragraph from an offering from one of the more verbose and 
um, extremely uh, poetic writers, <laughs> Bhakti Rasa. Uh, she's very, very, very uh, flowerful, if you will, flowery. Uh, <laughs> but um, and she has quite a few paragraphs here of uh, in which, in a number of which, she captures something about. Uh, my person, character, and contribution. And, and this one paragraph stuck out to me, so I'll, I'll read it to you. Your pen between your fingers and the keyboard beneath their tips bear the insignia, insignia of, of a truly noble cause. Sapere ode. Dare to discern. Without hesitation your concern or concern for popularity, you dare to discern between sentiment and tattva, or the truth, essence and detail. With surgical precision, you sever the head of the beast of worldly faith, lokik shraddha, from the body of devotional service in practice. By your example, you teach much more then what to think, you teach how to think, how to unpack the words of Guru, Sadhu and Shastra with the lever of reason, resting on the fulcrum heart of the six Goswamis. I said it was pretty flowery, <laughs> flowery but it's very uh, nice, and it does say something about what I'm like, I, th- I think, that um, uh, I don't hesitate um, or... Um, uh, to to say what I know to be true, out of concern for being popular, that's not a characteristic of me. But that's why we have a small group, uh, <laughs> which is fine. Pujapat Sridhar Marsh, my Siksha guru, he said that that he, he said most of my life I've spent alone. He was in his eighties at the time. He said. But I've had the liberty of always telling the truth, saying what I felt was to be was true. So uh, I could have had more followers, but I thought I'd be more comfortable being just voicing what I felt was true, whether it was popular or not. So there's a little bit of that in me, and uh, so that's uh, much appreciated that she could make that point um, in the way that she has and uh, and to discern between sentiment and philosophy because bhakti is a sentiment but again it's grounded in philosophy so if the sentiment is not grounded in the philosophy then it's only an appearance of bhakti hmm? and that won't take us the distance if you will so there are we speak of a subjective meditative world, but it has objective parameters. It's the world of God, the God's mind. Hmm? So it has certain parameters, if you will. We're living in God's, well, nightmare right now. This is the material world. <laughs> we want to enter in his, into his daydream. You know, when you just daydream about, I'd like it to be like this. That's what the world of Leela is about. Hmm? And um, it, it has certain parameters. You can enter there, and you will have desires, but all your desires will be centered on the idea of, of, 
of pleasing Krishna. And so through the, through his devotees, then he's full of desire. Hmm? And they are all instruments by which it's fulfilled. It's a very interesting concept. So so any rate, at any rate, um, yes, I am very much like that, that I uh, discern between sentiment and tattva. And also, as she says here, between essence and detail, between substance and form. There are details in the tradition, there are details, and they, are, they may be useful or they may be um, um, a hindrance at a later time. What may be useful at one time may be a hindrance at another time. And so a teacher has to be able to sort between the, what are the details and what are the principles. So I'll give you an example. I've given this before. Some of you may have heard, so forgive me for repeating myself. It's a nice story. There was a fellow, a sadhu, a saint, a teacher, a guru, and he was reciting the Gita daily. Hmm? So one day, before reciting the Gita, a cat came and began to meow, and the cat would not stop from meowing, and so the, the students were trying to keep the cat quiet or shoo the cat away. I said, no, you know, that's all right. Just tie the cat up and give some milk. Hmm? So the students tied the cat up and gave some milk, and the cat was quiet, and the Gita was recited. Next day, Time for the Gita to be recited. And again, the cat came. Again, the cat meowed. And so the disciples didn't have to be told what to do. They tied the cat up to the tree, gave the milk. Everything was fine. So this went on for days and days and weeks and months and years. And it just became part of the fabric of of what happens before the Gita is recited. A cat comes. He meows. We tie him to the tree. We give him milk. Hmm? And so... The guru passed away, and his successor took the seat, continued the daily recitations of the Gita. The cat would come. The cat was t- would meow, was tied up, given the milk. The Gita would be recited, and one day the cat died. Then the students and the successor guru said, what to do? How can we cite, recite the Gita if there's no cat meowing <laughs> before the cat? You cannot. <laughs> so, so they got another cat. <laughs> And the recitation went on, something like that. So <laughs> it illustrates the point that uh, that there may, some things are, uh, you know, have their application at times, and other times they're not required. But there is an essence that we have to sort between that and the details and so forth, and then deliver the truth in a in a living and vital way. Hmm? It's not just parrot repetition, repetition, the teachings that we are interested in, but parrot-like, but with, with the insight, with realization. And with so much insight and realization that with speaking about the same truth for those who have more of a literal kind of orientation and kind of a fundamentalist orientation to the, to the tradition and the truth, they can't even recognize. Hmm? The neophyte understanding of the principle of guru hmm, is such that it almost renders an intermediate understanding of the principle of guru as, uh, what would you say, that we couldn't, we couldn't rec- unrecognizable. Hmm? This is a very interesting concept. Hmm? In other words, even the intermediate, what to speak of the superlative devotee, conception of the guru is so progressive and developed that for the base neophyte understanding of it, hmm, 
that understanding looks like he's not serving the guru, he's not representing the guru, she's not representing, as may be the case. Now, that's why we all try to quickly bring you to intermediate stage and kind of understanding and so forth. But we've seen this happen. I've seen in my own life this kind of thing. Hmm. Um, where the successor guru speaks about the tradition in a living way, dispensing with the details and, and focusing on the essence. And then some can go with that and others go, he's misrepresenting. This is, this is And, uh, and they uh, dismiss him as a, a heretic, as might be the, might be the right uh, term. Hmm? And so and we want to avoid that. I labor hard to make this kind of point, and that won't, you won't suffer from that in the future or in the present. Hmm? So I'm a little out of the box, if you will, as is, some of you know me in terms of the, of the tradition. Hmm? So, uh, so she said these things, uh, and I appreciated the way in which they were presented here, and, and, and this paragraph resting with a reference to the Goswamis, who are the founding kind of uh, teachers, uh, they, they wrote the texts and so forth for the, for the tradition. So again, as we find in Aradhana's uh, offering some reference to the, to the greater lineage, connecting with the guru, with the entirety of the lineage, this is essential. I want to read uh, one more in the seeds here. This is from uh, Chaitanya Daya, who couldn't make it here today. And this is a little different, but, but interesting. Um, she is uh, been my disciple for quite a few years, and uh, previously was in another Godi institution. Um, and she is uh, she reinvented herself some time back. Uh, she was an editor, and I believe she was was she a graphic designer also. I think yes graphic designer and editor, and she wanted to get into a profession that was more grounded in terms of being able to express her heart and have feeling for people and so forth. She thought animals at first, maybe an animal trainer or something like that, but then she ultimately became a nurse. So she's working as a nurse now, and she works in, a, in, in Southern California, where she's always inviting me to, to come. Uh, I have to do that one day. Um, but um, uh, she works, I think, like in the cancer ward or something like that. So people are there today, and, and they may be gone the next day, and so forth. So she'd asked me some time back how to think about that and how to, you know, integrate some of the the teachings and, and work in a, in, a, in a kind of meditative sense and connect what she is ultimately about as a spiritual. Um, um, seeker and so forth into her work environment where you can't just go and say, you know, hey, we should, you're dying, chant Hare Krishna. It <laughs> doesn't exactly um, work there. <laughs> so um, she told me a short story. It's a longer offering, but uh, um, it's, it's, it's nice. Um, I'll read part of it. Um, at my job, there are occasional moments where I feel like I can get to the heart, quote-unquote, of the matter. That is, uh, spiritually, with my patients, working in a cancer hospital with very sick people, I would expect to encounter more incidences of spiritual need, but my patients don't ask for 
talk about it much, which I guess comes as a bit of, as a bit of a surprise to her, but it's not that surprising given the secular influences in, in, in the world today. Hmm? However, she says, the other night I had a patient whom I will call Mr. Smith. I won't go into too much detail about him, but he has been extremely sick and has been in and out of the hospital numerous times. During this admission, he was finally recovering and getting ready to go home the next day. He called me into his room during the night to talk about what was on his mind. I was pleasantly surprised to hear that despite some worries, he talked quite a bit about his faith in God and about obtaining inner peace. While Mr. Smith was confiding in me, I meditated on your instructions. You told me previously, quote, just care about people. And because you are caring, however expressed in any particular environment includes your still developing spiritual sensibilities within it, the persons you care for and about will be touched by the sensibilities along with experiencing the care as it manifests practically and visibly. Hmm? Follow? That's how I advised her. Just care about the people. Hmm? And the fact that you are a Vaishnava, a spiritual person, and that what, what that caring means to you and how deeply it goes without voicing it, without expressing it externally, but just expressing real, real care, real compassion, that will come through in, invisibly and create some 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 scar for bhakti in them without having to overtly say anything about bhakti and so on and so forth. So I had advised her like this, and she's well took it to heart. Hmm? And in her heart service, as she sees it, she is applying that. So we sat as we sat in the dark, holding hands. I recalled your compassion and asked Lord Chaitanya that in my current job. I would be able to transfer your compassionate nature to Mr. Smith in the way you do to me and to others. And this way I sat with him for 30 minutes while he revealed his mind to me. In the morning before I left my shift, Mr. Smith asked me and another nurse to pray with him. This never happened before, and of course I was happy to pray with him. While he offered his prayer to Jesus, I prayed to Krishna asking him to listen to Mr. Smith's prayer. <laughs> I prayed also to you to help me to do the right thing as a devotee of Sri Chaitanya who cannot preach directly to others. Why am I telling you about this? I know it is not something entirely mind-blowing and my life is rather mundane, but this is how Sri Chaitanya works in my routine life. I try to remember every night while I'm the unit, that I'm a representative of Swami B.B. Tripurari, and I trust that through me, your efforts to serve your Guru Maharaj, Srila Esi Bhaktivedanta, are somehow reaching these patients, even though I cannot forthright tell them, Chan Hare Krishna. Sure, a part of me wanted to tell Mr. Smith, when I'm drawing your blood, or when I'm giving you IV medications, did you know that I'm chanting Hare Krishna in my mind? <laughs> but... I know that even if I don't, the strength of your instruction and the mercy of Lord Chaitanya are fully present for these people. She goes on, but that was a nice piece, I thought, of how she is attempting to take her practice 
with her, hmm? you know, not outside of the the, the the chanting in the morning that one will do, but in, in entering into her everyday work life and, uh, and and so forth. Very beautiful, touched me. So again, I I didn't get too far, and there are some others, but I think we'll we'll stop with those those three for now. And I've got to read the rest of them, so it'll be late night, I guess. And uh, and tomorrow we'll we'll talk more about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance from an esoteric point of view rather than from a historical point of view, entering into Krishna Leela. But uh, with that said, what's the time now? 7.22. So, does anyone have any question? Yes. So, I heard from Sanatana that coming up soon is your 40th uh, anniversary of taking sannyas. Huh. It's true, 40 years ago I was given this uh, staff and a mantra for being a teacher and so forth, yes, in India, yes. And so it's also what was it mean your birthday. I wonder if you'd say a few words about your name and how you got the name. Well, that's a curious thing to some extent. I mean, of course, Prabhupada gave me a name when he initiated me in 1972, hmm, and when he gave me uh, the, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And um, and and then he gave me another initiation about well less than a year later, and then in 1975 he gave me the the sannyas initiation, which is then you get the title Swami and, and so on and so forth, and you're gonna be on on a public person, so to speak, uh, um, on the stage all the time. That's what it involves, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> so, um, um, but uh, curiously, the name, the name Triparari is a name for Sh- of, of Lord Shiva. Hmm? Um, and we are Vaishnavas, so we worship Vishnu more than Shiva, but we're in a particular branch of Vaishnavism that has great respect for Shiva. And the name Triparari is a name for Shiva that speaks of a time in which Shiva was empowered, particularly by Krishna, to um, to overcome uh, malefic uh, influences. It's a long story. It's there in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? So uh, once Prabhupada told me, he said, do you know your name is Triparari? And he said, um, so you should, you have the power to overcome inauspiciousness and create auspiciousness uh, and so forth. Um, and so, when he gave me the sannyas, he didn't change that name, but he gave me the uh, the title Swami that goes with it. So Swami Triparari. Now, that said, when that was in 1975 hmm, in Vrindavan, India, <clears throat> and that's all story was interesting. Maybe we tell it if we. I don't know the exact date that that happened. We could look it up maybe, and you could. Was it sannyas? Yeah. Was it the day after the installation? Uh, it was around the time of that, that so period. The installation was Ram Navmi. It was, yeah, it was after Ram Navmi then, after the installation of Krishna and Balaram. That's 28th of March this year. A couple days. That's a couple of days around that time. You could probably... Anyway, so um, that's another story. But there's another part to my name, the BV, Bhakti Bhinata. So that, uh, when Prabhupada uh, was leaving the world, passing on, he made mention of his 
contemporary, in fact, the person whom he felt that um, very much um, helped him to understand the teachings of Bhaktisiddhanta, who was also an initiate of Bhaktisiddhanta. So they were spiritual brothers, if you will. Pujapatrita Maharaj was in our lineage. And uh, so he advised that for philosophy and further instruction, you can get his counsel. Um, I did that. That was not a popular thing in the institution at the time, after Prabhupada's passing. But I felt it was was the right thing to do. And that's why I'm at my own institution. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it was Pujapatrita Maharaj told me that, oh, Prabhupada has given you everything. Go and do something for him. Start a mission and make students and so forth. And so... Um, he was very close to Bhakti Siddhanta, the guru of Prabhupada and, and himself, and he had taken sannyas from Bhakti Siddhanta. Prabhupada had taken it from um, uh, one of the other um, god brothers, if you will, guru brothers, hmm? rather than directly from Bhakti Siddhanta. And Sridharmarsh was more involved in the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta as a monk, Prabhupada was living as a as a householder. Hmm. Uh, and so he was more acquainted with some of the formal details, and he was very uh somewhat expert about that and something about names and so forth was he was very um titles and things. He was good and artful um about that in that. And indeed the title Bhaktivedanta that our Prabhupada carries was was given by Sridhar Marsh because he had written something, Prabhupada, Abhay Charan. Abhay Charan Anabinda was his initiated name, and Abhay Charan was his birth name. He always kept those initials. That's another whole story. Um, but the title Bhaktivedanta, he had been written something, and one of his godbrothers gave him the title Bhaktisiddhanta. And some of the other guru brothers said, you can't give him that title. That's the name of our guru, Bhaktisiddhanta. And so they they argued about it, and it was brought to Sridhar Marsh, who was a person who would, was a harmonizer very much. And he said, well, it's not wrong. He knows the Bhakti Siddhanta, but we could call him Bhakti Vedanta, which has the same, and he would go, you know, implications, and like I said, he was expert at that kind of thing. And uh, so that's how Prabhupada got the title Bhakti Vedanta. Hmm? And, uh, and Keshav Maharaj their other guru brother, whomever he gave sannyas to, one of the persons was Prabhupada. Thereafter, or even before that, he was giving the title Bhaktivedanta, Bhaktivedanta. So there's a, Bhaktisiddhanta had this, this system that the sannyas name will be the word bhakti and then a two or a three syllable word that somehow characterizes the person and then the official sannyas name, ashram, saraswati, Tirtha, so on and so forth. There's 108 of them that he drew up. So typically someone would get a name, Bhakti Vaibhav Madhav Maharaj, Bhakti Bhushana Sajjan Maharaj, so forth, or Swami. Um, Swami and Goswami are two of those sannyas names. So Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj was Prabhupada's sannyas name. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we came under the shelter of Sridhar Maharaj, he was giving sannyas to some students, and he would give them these really nice names, Bhakti, 
be Buddha, Vishnu Maharaj, you know, it's kind of a cool thing, if you will. Um, and uh, Prabhupada didn't do that so much. He just, whatever your brahmachari name was or your original, he would just keep add Swami or to it, something like that. So when we were in connection with Sridhar Maharaj, we were finding out more of the details of how Bhakti Siddhanta did things and, and they were interesting and colorful and, and so forth. And we, we felt an interesting connection with Bhakti Siddhanta through Sridhar Maharaj that was there, but some of the details about his person and the way of doing things we were becoming acquainted with. So these new sannyasis were getting these titles, you know, and it was, it was pretty cool. So some people thought, so some of the older devotees, Sagar Maharaj, uh, Narasimha Maharaj, for example, who had taken sannyas, and myself, had taken sannyas from Prabhupada, um, they wanted two things. They wanted to make a formal connection with Sridhar Maharaj hmm? in some way. I mean, they were connected, and they were his students hearing from him. They, although they were initiated by Prabhupada, he was the second guru in their life, but they wanted some kind of like, you know, way to like say, you know, he gave me this, he gave me a mantra, he gave me a name, something like that. So, <laughs> so, um, or for other reasons, like Narasimha his name was Jagat Guru Das. So he became Jagat Guru Swami. And he told me, he says, he says, it's one thing when I'm in a big group, you know, and I've got all this big group behind me, and my name is Jagat Guru Swami. But if I'm out on my own, which is the case, because we, we were, had to go to associate with Shida Marjman, you had to leave the big group, and, and, and you were on your own. And I go out and I say, my name is Jagat Guru Swami. Jagat Guru means the guru of the universe, <laughs> Swami. <laughs> so it's a little bit like, you know, too much. And, and also, it's a typical way in which some of the Advaitins would refer to themselves. And our tradition is very different than the Advaitins. So he, he reasoned, that was his reasoning. But he really what he wanted was, a, you know, Sridhar Maharaj to give him a name, something like that. So I said, yeah, go for it, you know. So, so Sridhar Maharaj, you know, he, could, he was wise, he could understand. And he wanted to, to reciprocate with their sentiments, hmm? naturally. And so he gave the name Bhakti Gaurava Narasimha Maharaj. It's a very fitting name if you, if you, if you know him. Akhoyananda <laughs> hmm? um, uh, Maharaj became Bhakti... Uh, Bhakti... Um, something Sagar Maharaj. And then Sridhar Maharaj explained it means the same thing as Akhoyananda and he would go into this whole technical explanation and so on and so forth. So this was we were really loving exchanges between Sridhar Maharaj and some of Prabhupada's disciples who are now under his, his, uh, his care and so forth. So some people thought, what is he doing? He's changing their names, you know, and Prabhupada gave them other, they're unfaithful to Prabhupada, but they, they couldn't enter into the, to the, the, the sentiments, the, the love and the affection that was involved, the nourishment that we were getting from Sridhar Maharaj. So I, when, when, when I was also there, then, some said, you know, Prabhupada, when he gave the mantra, he gave it a sannyas mantra on the pa- piece of paper. I said, yeah, that's true. He said, so you could hear it from Sridhar Maharaj. And I said, that sounds good. So, yeah, I went to Sridhar Maharaj to, to hear the mantra. Hmm? It was an excuse for, you know, whatever, getting, getting his association and so forth. And so he, he said, and, and the name? Do you want a name change? So I was very famous, you know, in 
in, in the previous group, I was pretty well known, and um, and I was very um, had a very strong gurnishta for Prabhupada, really a deep uh, connection of faith in, in Prabhupada, and of course I follow Prabhupada internally also. And Chidamar's internal sentiment was different, so uh, I really wasn't interested in having the name change. Hmm? So I said, I'm, I'm fine with the name. So he appreciated that. And so he gave me some mantras and some explanations and so forth. And then we were out in Navadweep going from pilgrimage place to pilgrimage place with many pilgrims. And what the system would be, you'd go to this place where Chaitanya performed this lila and you'd stop. And then someone would give a lecture about the significance of that place and there'd be chanting and so forth. That's the system. So one place then we stopped and I was asked and or someone else was speaking and said, Bhakti, Gordon the Shingamaraj was well now say something. Woo. You know, and <laughs> the microphone, one, two testing, okay, Hare Krishna. And he would give a talk, you know. And then this was a senior disciple of Sridhar Maharaj, um Haricharan, Hari, Hari yeah, Hari Brahmachari. He was older than all of us and he was a Brahmachari, not a sannyasi, but we had a great respect for him. So he said, and Bhakti and he didn't know my you know, Bhakti so-and-so Tripurari Maharaj name, because I didn't have one, you know. So my godbrother, Narasimha Maharaj, who, who by my influence came under the shelter of Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj, he said, Bhakti Vedanta, <laughs> because of, you know, my, you know, whatever, connection with Prabhupada. So he said, Bhakti Vedanta Tripurari Maharaj, so well, we'll just go with that, you know. <laughs> Something like that, so... I heard some of the other day complaints. Who is he to call himself Bhakti Vedanta? It's because some godbrother said that. Of course, as I've given history, that's how Prabhupada got the name Bhakti Vedanta for some guru brother as well. So, it's these are all affectionate dealings and uh, something about my sannyas title and so on. So, appreciate the question. So, it's nice to sit with all of you. You're very. Um, very affectionate and kind, and I appreciate it. I think that we've probably spoken for, what, over an hour hour now? So we should stop and retire, dream about Krishna, and uh, we'll begin again in the morning. Five in the morning we begin, and uh, there'll be at 8 or 8.15 a light breakfast tomorrow. Tonight is the... Daylight savings, but we've decided to wait, and we'll we'll stay in our own world, a, a timeless world, here, with extra hours, and change the clock, maybe Sunday night instead. Ah,